in all areas of life, it's really important, isn't it, that you've got the right track record, the right credentials to make it. And I guess particularly you think of sports. You know, if you perform well, you're in. If you perform badly, uh, you're out. And no one likes the feeling of sort of being left out, being the one that didn't perform well, you didn't have the right credentials. So it might be getting a job, going to college or university, just getting some valuable work experience. You have to have the right credentials and the right track record to get in, to get into the team as it were. The funny thing about this guy Nicodemus is he has the perfect track record. He has the best credentials. He couldn't have a better CV, but from this story, it doesn't look like he gets into Jesus' team. So let's have a look at him. Look at, we'll just go through verse by verse. So keep it open. Verse 1, look what it says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are like the big wigs in Israel. They're like the Jewish religious leaders. They're like the top flight Jews. So, uh, you know, if you wanted to know what you should do as a Jew, you'd probably go and talk to the Pharisees. I like to think of them as, you know, Premier League versus Championship. And the Pharisees are Premier League, and everyone else, all the normal Jewish, or anyone who's a God-fearer, is like a Championship. They're the top-flight people. Everyone else aspires to be like them. So they were hard-working, they were good fathers, they were faithful husbands. You know, they did all the right things. They recycled their glass bottles, they drank fair trade coffee, you know, they gave blood and all those kind of things. You know, what good people do. They're moral people. If, if anyone was going to be first on Jesus' team sheet, you'd bet your life it'd be a Pharisee. Well, that's what people thought anyway. And not only that, look at verse 10. Jesus gives them really high praise. You are Israel's teacher. So Jesus knows this guy. He's not someone that's not known. He's Israel's teacher. He's one of the leading theologians or teachers or preachers in all of Israel. And so Jesus gives him this high sort of acclaim. So following the analogy through, it's as if he's Alex Ferguson or Jose Mourinho or Arsene Wenger. He's one of the big guys in Israel. The big kind of top elite people. Everyone paid attention. What does he do? Our team will follow and do the same kind of thing. Finally though, look at verse 2. He came to Jesus at night. I wonder why John tells us he came at night. I wonder why he tells us that. And not only that, we'll come back to that. Look, carry on. It says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one can perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. You see, he's got all these credentials, Nicodemus, but he's also pretty humble, isn't he? He comes to Jesus and he says, you're this amazing person sent from God. You must be, because I've seen all the miraculous signs you're doing. So Nicodemus has it all. Now you all know this person. You know, they're good at sport, they're good at music, they're good looking, life's amazing. And then you know what the worst thing about these people? They're really nice. And then you're like, oh no. He's got everything. He's really nice, he's gentle, he's humble, he's caring. And then he's got all the amazing attributes. He plays like, you know, five musical instruments, four of which I've never heard of, and all that kind of stuff. This guy has absolutely everything. He's got everything you could ask for. And Jesus says to him, verse 3, in reply, Jesus, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So it's an abrupt start. This guy's got everything, and Jesus doesn't exactly, you know, treat him nicely, you could say. But let's come back to verse 2. Why did he come at night? I think he comes at night because he doesn't want other people to see him coming to Jesus. He's slightly nervous. What happens if my other Jewish leaders, the other Pharisees, see me going to Jesus? What are they going to think of me? You could say for Nicodemus, you know, the Jewry's still out. I don't know what I think of Jesus. I think he's from God. I've seen the miraculous signs. He says that. 
But the jury still out. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And I, and I don't want, I'm not sure the consequences. If I do follow this guy, Jesus, what are the consequences? So he's a bit nervous and he comes at night. He's pretty apprehensive. And maybe I wonder if you're a bit like Nicodemus today, or have been during this intro course. The more you've learned, or the more you've discussed, you think, you know what, I think Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he did on the cross for my sins, and he rose again. I think that's all true, but I am like Nicodemus. I am apprehensive. I am nervous. And one of your biggest questions is, what happens if I do throw my lot in with him? What will people think of me? What will my family and friends think? What do it mean for my life? And you know what, the encouraging thing for you, if that is you, is that Jesus wants to encourage and take Nicodemus on a journey and says, I'll take you right where you are now, even if you're nervous, apprehensive, that's absolutely fine. He wants to help Nicodemus along. But then Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Nicodemus doesn't even finish his introduction. He hasn't even, so he's just doing a nice, polite greeting. You're a man sent from God. I've seen all your miraculous signs. And it's, then Jesus comes with this forceful sort of, he must have knocked Nicodemus for six. He hasn't even mentioned the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes straight in there. And he cuts to the chase and he basically says this to Nicodemus. Unless, uh, unless you start again, you'll never get in. Unless you start again, you'll never get in. That is the entry requirement. That is the only entry requirement into the kingdom of God. The only one that matters. You see, there are a few Jews in Israel at the time that had that better CV than Nicodemus. If anyone was going to be accepted, they thought he would be. But Jesus says, unless you, Nicodemus, start again, you'll never make it. Now, Nicodemus is caught off guard, obviously, because he's just having a nice conversation, and Jesus comes in with this. And so verse 4 is a completely legitimate question. I wonder if you thought this as you read it. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his, uh, into his mother's womb to be born. That's a completely legitimate question. Jesus, you've just said I've got to be born again. I've got to start again. I've got to have a new birth. Well, I'm an old man. How do I, how do, I do that? And so Jesus does what every sort of bad teacher, you could say, does when the class doesn't understand. He gives them a really complicated answer. Look at verse 5. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, that isn't clear when I first, you know, I need to be born again, and Jesus gives that as your answer. So Nicodemus says, verse 9, how can this be? Completely legitimate. And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, as we looked at earlier. I.e., Jesus mentions a few things in there, and the two main ones are this idea of water and spirit, and then he mentions wind as well. As Israel's teacher, someone that knew all of the Old Testament back to front, he should have known what Jesus was getting at. You know, he shouldn't have been asking what does it mean, what is his talk of spirit and water. He should have known. He knew that the Old Testament was full of imagery of water and spirit and wind. Anyone in, their, in that day who knew their Old Testament would know that. So let me give you two examples and two prophets in the Old Testament. Look at this from the prophet Jeremiah. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. That's like a new promise or a new relationship with the people of Israel and Judah. That's the people of God. 
Well, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He says there's going to be a new covenant, a new relationship, a new type of relationship with God where I will do something deep within people's hearts. What does this look like? Look at Ezekiel. For I will gather you from all the nations, so the people of God are in exile, they're all over the place, and bring you home again to your land. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you. And you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away. And you'll no longer worship idols. And I'll give you a new heart. Remember what Jeremiah just said. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. And give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you. So that you will follow my decrees. And be careful to obey my instructions. So both Jeremiah and Ezekiel said. There's going to come a day when God will do a new thing with his people, and it will be of the heart. And it will be represented by, what does it say, a sprinkling of clean water and and the Spirit. So the sprinkling of clean water, you could say, is God says to his people, I'm going to do something new, which will mean you'll have your slate wiped completely clean. You'll have a fresh start. Everything you've ever done previous that you regret, that is sinful, that you just think, oh, I wish no one knew about it, God says... I just wipe that slate, I sprinkle it with water. And then he says, but for this new start, you don't do it alone. You'll have a new power. You have my spirit living in you. So everyone who knew, Nicodemus should have known, there's a day coming, isn't there, when God will do two things. He'll, it will represent by water, he'll wipe away sin. He'll be completely washed, the slate will be wiped clean, it'll be a fresh start for everyone who wants. And the second thing will have a new power to obey. What does it say? So that you'll follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. You'll get a new power so you can live life the way God wants you to live it. So you won't just get a fresh start and then be left again. You're given a fresh start and a new power to live that life. So that is what Nicodemus should have got. And Jesus is saying, in me coming, that day has arrived. That day everyone was waiting for has arrived. And so he says, verse 7, what does he say there? You should not be surprised at my saying this. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you know that this has to be a completely new start. Like a new birth. Like literally a new birth. So, let me get it this way. A lot of people when I say, what does it mean to be a Christian? They'll give these kind of answers. While Steve, you know, to be a Christian is to live a good life. That's That's what it's to be a Christian. Basically, you live a good life. Nice to people, that's really important as a Christian. You must be nice to people. I mean, you know, if anything's going to get you into heaven, into God's good books, I bet being nice to people's got to be high up there. I was baptised. That's really important. Or maybe, no, no, I wasn't baptised, but I was christened as a baby. That, that gets me in to God's team sheet. I give blood! I remember one vicar saying, he asked someone, why should you get into heaven? And the guy said, because I give blood. Why should you get into God? Let me in. Why? I gave blood. I go to church, particularly at Easter and Christmas, because that's when we go to church in England. I read my Bible, you know, Psalm 23, when it's really hard, I have a shepherd in life who will guide me through the valley of death. I know a few things from the Bible, I read it. I say my prayers, particularly when it's tough, particularly when life sucks. I might not say them all the time, but when I go through a hard patch, I'll, I'll speak to you, God. You know, I've said that, God, surely that makes me a Christian. But basically, the big answer people give me is, Steve, I've tried to live a good life. Does that not get me in? And Jesus sent to Nicodemus, who had all the credentials, that doesn't get you in at all. None of those credentials get you in. 
The only thing that gets you in is if you have a brand new heart, if you have a new star, if you have that slate white clean, the sprinkling of water that says your sin is forgiven, you can enter God's presence, you can come before him as a clean person, and that you have a new power to live life for him. This is all junk in Jesus' books. That doesn't get you there. It counts for nothing. You have to have a new birth. Put it this way. Imagine if I suddenly thought, well, 2012 Olympics are coming up. You know, I'm going to enter myself for the shot put. And, uh, you know, no coach worth his salt would look at me and go, yeah, okay, I'll train you. You know, I'm six foot two. I know I have enormous biceps, but I'm basically not that strong compared to a shot putter, you know, and all the rest of it. I just don't have the physique. I could have the best coach. I could build up my body a bit more. I could develop a spin on a penny to throw this thing. No coach worth his salt is going to say, I'm going to enter you. Because what I need is not a better coach, not a better technique, not a few more muscles. I need a new physique. I just need to be smaller, chunkier, and lots stronger. I need to have a completely new body. There's no point in me entering it. I'd never win it in a million years. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you'll never get into God's team. You'll never even get on the team sheet with anything you can do. You have to have a new start. You have to have a new heart. You have to have a clean slate. You have to have a new power. And that is what the Holy Spirit ultimately is all about. He's the one that gives us that new heart. He's the one that makes that, that, that slate clean. You know, Jesus' death on the cross forgave my sin, and the Holy Spirit says, yes, that's happening. And then it becomes a reality in me. It doesn't just become something that happened 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit says, I want to make that reality in you. So let's summarize the first session. Who is the Holy Spirit, and why is he important? The Holy Spirit is God's very spirit that comes to live in you and give you a new start, to give you a new life. He does this by cleansing you, washing away everything you've ever done wrong, and giving you a new power to live life the way God wants you to live. That is who the Holy Spirit is, and that is why the Holy Spirit is so important to us as Christians. And that's what we're going to be looking at a bit more detail throughout the day, and also on Tuesday intro again. And at the end of the day, there'll be a chance for you to say, actually, I'd love to invite the Holy Spirit into my life and become a Christian, if that's where you feel you're at. So here are the discussion questions. Are there areas in your life where you wish you could have a start again, have a blank slate? Do you think you need to start again, be born again, to use Jesus' language, to be part of God's family? Would you like a new power within you to be able to live God's way? Have you already noticed any changes in your life through the course, your feelings, your thinking, or your behaviour?